for now, I'm, I'm doing my best to keep it hush-hush. Except for this whole podcast thing, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Somehow you have found yourself here once again listening to the Lions of Liberty podcast, and you are listening to episode number 92. Before we get into today's show, I want to take a second to let you know about Health Excellence Select, an amazing alternative to Obamacare, which utilizes health sharing to cover your medical costs. That's Health Excellence Select. For more information, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. My guest today is a musician with the U.S. Army currently stationed in Seoul, Korea. He is currently seeking conscientious objector status. He's here to tell us his story. James Newcomb, welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Hey, thanks, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you, James. And and it, I'm going to kind of start this in a, in a little different way than I would normally start my show, where I normally ask my guests, you know, how do they first get into the ideas of liberty, libertarianism? And, and we'll get into that with you in a minute. But and, and this will become clear as we get into our conversation, but your story really begins with your passion for music. So why don't you just start off by telling us how your passion for music first developed? My passion for music developed when I was a very young child. My dad was, he was actually a musician as well in the, in the Navy. In fact, I was born on uh, Letterman Army Hospital in the Presidio of San Francisco. And we moved uh, back to Minnesota two weeks after he left the Navy. And that's where I grew up, and that's where I really fell in love with music. We played more than, you know, my my parents played more than the standard fare that you hear on the radio. They played a lot of classical, a lot of jazz, a lot of progressive rock that's very good music, but, it, you know, it's you don't always find it on the radio. And in 1985, when I was eight years old, I made the one and only New Year's resolution that I've ever made, let alone kept, and that was to learn to play the trumpet just like my dad. And he gave me my first few lessons. I, I it was okay. I did okay. Uh, I wasn't anything special. And when it came time to learn an instrument in school, this was the fifth grade, and I, of course, I already played the trumpet, so I already had a kind of a leg up on my peers in the fifth grade. And throughout school, it was okay. It, it wasn't. I, I was not an A student by any stretch. But when I hit high school, that's when I really, really fell in love and really found a passion for music, uh, particularly in the trumpet. I had one teacher in the ninth grade, and he is the one that really gave me that, sh- that, that shot in the arm that you need to really pursue something beyond the normal, beyond what everybody else is doing. And he just sat me down point blank and said, James, you have a lot of raw talent. And if you were to really work hard, you could, you could really do well for yourself. And you, know, and you know what? I took him at his word. I practiced all the time. I mean, that's what I did. If I was not in school, if I was not eating dinner, I was practicing. And at that point, that's, that's when uh, I, I guess my career, so to speak, really took off. I began to excel. I made all of the first chairs in uh, the school auditions. Uh, by the time I was a senior in high school, I made uh, first chair in the All-State Band in Minnesota, which was quite an honor. And uh, after high school, I knew 
with 100% certainty that I was tired of school and had absolutely no interest in, in going to college. And so when an Army recruiter called me up at my home, I have no idea how he got my number, but he called me and asked if I would be interested in the military. I said no. Uh, and he said, well, what, what do you do? What do you like to do? And I said, I like to play the trumpet. And he said, well, we have a band. Would you, like, would you be interested in that? I said, absolutely. Uh, chance to play an instrument and get paid for it sounded pretty good to me. So right after high school and doing a summer with the Drum and Bugle Corps, touring the country with that, I joined the Army and did that for four years. Uh, this is 1994. And left the military in 1998 and went up to Washington State where I went to a Bible college and I had aspirations to be a minister. Left that organization in 2004. And I think it was right in Washington where I became exposed to the libertarian principles. And I'll just go ahead and answer that question right now. Sure. In 2002... Because you know it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> in 2002, I just overheard a conversation about a book called The Creature from Jekyll Island. And I didn't know the first thing about the Federal Reserve. I, 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 I couldn't even uh, identify... U.S. dollars as Federal Reserve notes. I mean, I was that ignorant. I just had no clue. But when I heard this story about how the Federal Reserve uh, manipulates foreign governments and creates money out of nothing and on and on and on, my curiosity was piked. And so I uh, made a special order at Barnes & Noble, and they let me know when it came in, and I picked it up and devoured it. Of course, it took me a good three months to devour it because it's a long book. Oh yeah, that is is, <laughs> a, is an enormous book, but it's it's just so engaging. It's like it's I had to I actually interviewed uh, Mr. Griffin and back in episode twenty one of, of this show, and it's speaking with him was absolutely fascinating as mm. well. But I mean, just, just reading the book, as you know, it, it looks like a textbook. It looks so intimidating when you first open it, but when you get going, it turns into almost this mystery novel, and it, and it it's so intriguing, especially because. Mm -hmm. Because it's real. You know, it's, it's a real yeah. story of something that happened. It's not a mystery novel. It's a mystery fact, I guess you could say. But he writes it like a novel. You know, right. the introduction yeah. to the, the uh, how the, the people, they use pseudonyms for each other uh, on the train ride to uh, mm -hmm. Jekyll Island. It's yeah, fascinating. Anyway, so to make a long story short, my venture into the creature from Jekyll Island led me to the John Birch Society, which you may have heard of. Yeah. And it, this is in... I'm still in Washington State at this point, and in late 2004, I made the decision to move back to Minnesota, where I grew up, and I actually was hired by the John Birch Society, and I worked for them during the entire year of 2005 as a state coordinator. Shortly after I moved back to Minnesota, I joined a internet dating site called eHarmony that you may have heard of, and that's where I met my wife, who lived in Hawaii, and I had no plans to move anywhere, seeing how I had just moved to Minnesota from Washington. But when it became serious between her and I, and it came time to decide who's going to move where, you know, for some reason she didn't want to move to Minnesota from Hawaii. You know that. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. Who can who can fathom the feminine mind? <laughs> so I bit the bullet and I moved to Hawaii so I could be with her. And now here's where I got back into music. During this point, music is a hobby for me. It's not it's not a profession. I didn't do it for a living. It's something that I did in my spare time, my free time. Um, played with community bands, uh, maybe a, a brass band here and there. In Hawaii, I, I met a man who was actually a visiting missionary at our church. And 
Before he was a minister, he went to the Eastman School of Music, which is one of the top music schools in the country. I mean, you have Juilliard, Indiana, Eastman. It's right, right up there in the same conversation as far as prestige. And he was a trumpet major. And he listened to me play. And just like in the ninth grade, I mean, it was so, it, it's eerily similar. He said, James, you have a lot of raw talent. And if you were to really <laughs> apply yourself, you could really make a name for yourself in the trumpet world. And this time, the stakes are a little higher. He's not talking about making first chair in the school band. He's talking about, like, he, he has been around the best. He has seen and heard the best. And when this guy is telling me that I have potential, you know, you pay attention to that. It's one thing for your mom to say that you have potential. She's supposed right. to say that. <laughs> but when this guy who uh, has has been around, this has been exposed to this this level of expertise tells you you have, you have potential. You, you listen to that. So I took a couple of uh, auditions for symphony orchestras in the United States and flights from Hawaii to places like uh, Nebraska, Colorado, California got really expensive real quick. And I realized if I'm going to make a career in music, I need, I need to find a different route. And I've done the military before, so why don't I do that? This is 2008. So in 2008, I rejoined the Army. At this point, I've been exposed to, you know, the creature from Jekyll Island. I've worked for the John Birch Society. So my knowledge of things related to foreign policy is above average. So I had some reservations, to say the least, about rejoining the military. On the one hand, I had this desire to be a musician and an obvious need to take care of my wife financially, which was not happening at the time. On the other hand, I had these really serious uh, misgivings about the uh, the foreign policy, the, the manipulation, the uh, blowback that is a result of, you know, the foreign intervention across the world. And Ron Paul actually helped me uh, become aware of some of that. So I rejoined the military, but it was very much, very much with a lot of moral reservations. But it, it seemed an obvious path for you since you'd done it before well, and, and it was a, you know, at least a guaranteed paycheck. It was sensible. Yes, you're right, because I had done it before and because, you know, I can do the military thing during the day and then I can pursue my own goals uh, on, my, on my own time. And that's what I did. We moved to Kentucky and then on to Georgia, North Carolina, and now we're in Korea. So let's go back about two years. In 2013, I would have to say that my beliefs became more crystallized over time. It, it went from I have reservations and I have uh, misgivings to this is wrong. This is absolutely morally wrong what is going on with the role of the military in the world. And you may be asking, now, how can you have, uh, how can this be objectionable to you when you're uh, a musician? You're not on the front lines. You're not fighting wars. Well, we're, we're uh, promoting this, this thing that I found morally wrong. Anytime we go do a concert in public, we're singing, you know, kind of, we're, we're sort of like cheerleaders. Right, you're singing patriotic songs yeah. meant to, uh, you know, get get everybody excited about whatever the mission may be or, or about the military overall. Mm -hmm. 
and we're we're basically drumming up public support for war, which I was more and more as time went on became more and more opposed to personally. So a couple of years ago, this is when we're in North Carolina, I really don't remember what exactly put me over the edge, but I just got to this point where I just I just couldn't do it anymore. And I walked into the sergeant major's office. The sergeant major, if you're not familiar with military terminology, is the highest ranking enlisted man in the unit. And I just walked into his office, closed the door, and said, I need to talk to you. And I just laid it all out there. I just told him everything about how I was feeling. So you didn't just say you wanted to leave. You gave him the full the full spiel, huh? <laughs> yeah, which in retrospect was kind of a risky thing to do, you know? <laughs> you, you walk into your sergeant major's office and you say those types of things, you, you know, who knows what's going to happen? But he and I had a had a rapport, and I trusted him, and I trusted him to do the right thing, and he did. And he said, well, James, it sounds to me like you're a conscientious objector. And that was a term that I had heard. Uh, of course, it was much more popular during the Vietnam War and World War One, World War Two. But now with the all-volunteer military, it's it's just kind of obsolete because if you don't want to join the military, you don't join the military. Mm-hmm. Which, which is good. I'm glad it's that way. But at the same time, sometime, uh, sometimes people join the military and, and then realize later, you know, maybe this isn't something that I should have done. So there's two classifications in pursuing a conscientious objector status. One is where you uh, have that designation, but you're regarded as a non-combatant, meaning that you don't hold a weapon, you don't uh, engage in uh, tactical training of any kind, but you fill out the terms of your enlistment doing tasks that are non-combat oriented. The second one is to leave immediately. Now, in North Carolina uh, in 2013, I pursued the first one because my wife, understandably, was concerned about the prospect of being unemployed. And this is this is what I've been doing for the last five years. And, you know, she had legitimate concerns about it. So I, I pursued option number one. But weren't you already sort of in option one as a musician? I mean, at that point, since you weren't, you know, active in any way already? Or how would that be different than kind of the situation you were already in? Well, the musicians deploy as well. Oh, okay. I, you're saying that, that you just wouldn't deploy at all. You, would, you, would, you wouldn't be anywhere near, near combat. Yeah, and that would, that would limit my options as to where I could be stationed. Like I couldn't go to uh, a place where a, a major division is located. Understood. So it, it it would change that, but fundamentally it really wouldn't make that big of a difference because the role of a musician, even though they they do deploy, but they they, they see combat. They, they they see some things. Uh that was in North Carolina. So now in, in Korea, things have not changed for me psychologically. It's it's very defeating to go to work every day and do something that you believe is wrong, is morally wrong. It, it, it's not just a matter of not liking what you're doing. It's a matter of what I'm doing is wrong. And I, I object to it. And it just, these feelings just intensified. And finally, I just had enough. I realized I absolutely cannot do this anymore. The, the only course of action that I can take is to leave as soon as possible. So again, in Korea, I, I, well, to back up just, 
just to explain, sure. the reason that I withdrew it in, in North Carolina is because it was going to interfere with my move to Korea. And that was just going to create some instability with my family. Gotcha. So I withdrew it in, in North Carolina. Again, in Korea, I pursued it. And this time with the option of leaving immediately. So that's where I'm at right now. I put in the paperwork back in August and um, it's just now – uh, catching catching steam as far as getting some real answers as to whether or not it'll be approved, and if so, when I'll be leaving the military. So that was back in August. That was over six months ago. So obviously, this is not um, not an easy process. Uh, can you describe a little more how this process of becoming a, an, I guess, an official conscientious objector actually works? Do you just, I assume, it starts by filling out some some series of paperwork. But I mean, do you go yeah. to hearings? What what has the process been like for you, or has there even been a process yet? Well, we're moving at the speed of army, as I like to say. I mean, the <laughs> army doesn't do anything fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'll get things done, but it's not going to. It's like a big diesel engine carrying a 18,000 ton load of coal up a, up a hill. I mean, it'll, it'll get there, but it's going to take a while. Mm-hmm. So the actual process itself is not difficult. It's a matter of visiting with a chaplain, uh, visiting with a mental health professional, um, having the commanding officer sign off on some things. It's, it's not a difficult process. The problem here in Korea is that people are here very intermittently. They're here for, uh, just a year, most people. It takes them a month to really find their groove here. And then they take a month of leave in the middle of their tour here. So it's just kind of a pain with dealing with people who are here and then not here. And then there's one person that can sign this and there's one person that can sign that. And it's just a matter of getting all the ducks in a row and getting everybody lined up. Right. I want to talk a little bit more about kind of the nature of your contract with the military because it's obviously a little bit different than just getting a normal job. I mean, if you sign up for a normal job, even if you sign up on a contract basis, you can pretty much leave that job whenever you want. Um, right. I, obviously, I, I mean, how does it work when you're not a combatant? When you're when you're because obviously when you were originally brought in, it was just as a musician. I mean, do you have to go through basic training or or anything like that, or are you kind of in a completely separate unit? Yeah, everyone in the army goes to basic training. Okay, uh, but, regardless of your job. Gotcha. So you you have this a similar kind of contract as as anybody else at any level in the military would have, where it's you sign up for a, a X amount. I don't know exactly how it works, but you sign up for a certain stint or what have you, and you have to complete that. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I could easily walk into my commanding officer's office right now. I mean, back in August. I could say, sir, I don't want to do this anymore. Get me out of the military. And the fact of the matter is he would probably do it. Hmm. It would be a general discharge. It would be just, uh, I mean, there's different classifications that kind of affect your uh, job prospects and what, whatnot. Um, because right now the military is looking to draw down. They're, they're, looking, they're looking for excuses to get rid of people or to just deny them the, the option of reenlisting. And I could have done that, but I just thought, this is, is important. The, uh, words matter to me. And if I'm, going to be, if I'm going to leave the military before I said that I would do, I mean, I made a commitment to do it for a certain amount of time. Right. And if I'm going to leave before that commitment is up, there'd better be a good reason for it. And how am I going to explain to a prospective employer that they should trust me to do what I say I'm going to do if I 
basically reneged on my contract with the military. So there, there's got to be a good reason for it. So it was, even though this is a little more time consuming, ultimately I think it's the, it's the right thing to do because you just have to be able to look people in the eye and tell them that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. Have you had conversations about this kind of thing, about your your negative feelings about the military, about their role in the world with, you know, other people that are in the military with you, whether it's your bandmates or just, you know, other soldiers and that kind of thing? Or is it is it kind of something you have to steer away from? Because, I mean, I'm sure at some level there's a fear that people will call you a traitor or a deserter or, a, you know, something like that. I, I don't really know, but I'm sure culturally there's probably a, a stigma for just wanting to leave. Right. Well, it it might surprise you to know that there's a lot of, I wouldn't call it dissent, there's a lot of variety on opinion. And it might surprise you to find, to know that the military, people in the military are pretty well informed. Uh, and, and some of them are just, they're really, maybe not as pronounced as my own convictions, but they have some legitimate complaints. and But they stick with it because, you know, it's a job and it pays the bills, so... I don't fault anyone for doing that. Um, I've personally, I've kept it pretty much under wraps. I know that I'm doing the right thing and I can find peace in that. I don't feel like I need to stir the pot any more than I have to because these are human beings that are handling this case. And if I have a reputation of being an instigator, of being someone who um, is just kind of kind of belligerent with pestering people with anti-war uh, statements and things of that nature. You know, I guess I just want myself to be looked at in the most favorable light possible. And uh, once I leave the military, whenever that is, um, I'll probably be more outspoken with with things of that nature. But um, for now, I'm, I'm doing my best to keep it hush-hush. Except for this whole podcast thing, huh? <laughs> yeah, th- yeah, the reason... <laughs> The reason I, that I wanted to be on this, and I thank you for accepting my request to be on your show, is because I oh, absolutely because the people that are going to be looking at this case, they want to see sincerity. They don't want to see someone who's just who's dissatisfied with his job and just is looking for a way out. Uh, they they want sincerity, and I guess this is just just one more thing that I can do to show that that I really mean business. Now, I know one thing you mentioned to me um, before the show when you approached me about this interview was how you kind of developed an understanding of of the non-aggression principle, something obviously libertarians are always talking about. It's sort of a guiding principle for many. So can you tell us, I guess, how the non-aggression principle sort of came to be a, a guiding principle for you? And how do you see the military's actions as conflicting with this principle? Uh, I first became familiar with the non-aggression principle in Sunday school when I was three years old with the maxim, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, the actual non-aggression principle, as the libertarians would know, which is basically no man has the right to commit violence against any other man uh, or group of men, is when I read and actually recorded in audio format the, uh, the Market for Liberty by Morris and Linda Tannehill, Mm-hmm. I was a member of the uh, laissez-faire book club, and I just approached them about doing an audio book, and they said, sure, we'd, we'd like you to do the, the Market for Liberty. And so that, that's when I really became exposed to the, the non-aggression principle in a very scientific format. And of course, I read Rothbard's um, For a New Liberty. I read Tannehill uh, before Rothbard, but they, they basically uh, kind of 
elucidated on Rothbard's words. So those two is is really what got me uh, involved in the non-aggression principle, and I think uh, that I guess I guess becoming more familiar with that in those worded that exact way is what really sealed the deal for me as far as um, being a conscientious objector. James, I've got just a couple more questions for you here. But first, we need to take a little time to talk about our sponsors, Health Excellence Select. Now, until last year, I was just like you guys. I saw my health insurance cost double and my deductibles skyrocket thanks to the Obamacare health insurance mandates. Determined not to participate in this corporatist scheme, I sought an alternative and found out about health sharing, a fantastic concept in which your monthly fees go directly to pay the medical bills of others, not into the pockets of some crony capitalist fat cat. Health Excellence Select combines health sharing with a patient care personal assistant, 24-7 phone access to board-certified physicians, and discounts on dental, vision, and other benefits. The best part is that for most people, plans with Health Excellence Select are much more affordable than Obamacare insurance, and it meets the legal mandate, so you will not be fined for using it in lieu of insurance. That's Health Excellence Select. For more information, head over to lionsofliberty.com health. A lot of libertarians or people that associate with these ideas have different ideas about defense, about how things should be structured. What do you feel the proper role of the military should be, or if you even feel there should be a military as we have it today? How do you see that playing out, I guess, in your quote-unquote ideal world? Hmm. Well, my ideal world as a uh, libertarian, not just political, but in word and in deed, is you focus on the individual. And when you're focused on the individual, you you see politicians in Washington, D.C. who send other people, who order other people to fight and potentially kill people in other countries that in normal circumstances would have nothing, would have no animosity towards each other. That's a direct violation of the non-aggression principle. So you're relying on a, on a lot of propaganda to uh, – stir up a lot of hatred against people that that the the government has decided is an enemy and un, under normal circumstances you wouldn't have any problem with people in China or Vietnam uh so i guess in my ideal world which i don't really base my decisions off of my ideal world i base my decisions off of reality sure. but in my ideal world, I think people, if they're focused on the individual, they focus on the, the individual rights. And, and, and that non-aggression principle is dealing with individuals, not, not groups of individuals that are arbitrarily grouped together by governments and geographical boundaries and whatnot. So in, my, in the perfect world, if you're going to defend from a, an, an aggressor that is – the size of an army, then you hire a private army. And I'm using, I'm really kind of borrowing from the Tannehill's ideas here. Right. And private really can just mean not coerced. It can mean not having sure. been funded through coercive taxation. It, it doesn't really necess- necessitate how that, that army should be structured. Right. And, and, and in the defense of the U S government right now, that when you have a volunteer military, you really take away a lot of the problems that are involved with coercing people into joining the military against their will. So right. it's, not, it's not like I'm absolutely against the U.S. government. It's not like I can't find any redeeming qualities 
sure. in in their policies. Um, I just decided that I made a mistake, and I'm not claiming ignorance on anything. I I knew what I was doing when I enlisted and re-enlisted. It's not like I didn't. It's not like I was ignorant. It's not like I was misled. I just realized I just made a mistake, and I need to do everything that I can to get out to to make it right. How long is the remainder of your current contract if you did not or if you were not able to achieve this conscientious objector status? Uh, I still have three years left. Wow. Well, I'd certainly wish you the best of luck because, I mean, no one wants to do something that they are, are morally against. And, and I'm sure that you often wake up knowing you have to go play some sort of, you know, hymn to the U.S. military and mm. get a sort of sick feeling in your stomach and, yeah. and um, it just doesn't sit right with you and there's... There's just no worse feeling than that. And, uh, you know, so I, I'm certainly I'm glad you wanted to come on the show to express what you're doing. I think you are. It's very impressive that you're you're doing this in, in quote unquote, the right way, that you're not just, you know, ranting and raving and, and saying F the military and get me out of here now. You're you're really going through the, the proper channels and um, you're really trying to maintain your integrity at the same time of not reneging on your agreement and of really doing things that the way you agreed to when you signed on as much as you may may not like the military and, and like the actions that they've taken um, that aren't sitting well with you, you're still doing it in the most respectable way possible. And that says a lot about you. So um, it's very impressive. And, and I really wish you the best of luck with the, with this whole thing, because it's obvious that you shouldn't be there if it's, yeah. if it's causing you this kind of distress. Um, but, you know, you've, you've been able to channel your energy in a certain way. And I, I definitely want to talk about this before we let you go. And you've recently launched your own podcast. That's how we became familiar with each other, called Outside the Music Box. So why don't you tell everybody, we can end this thing on a little bit of a, a positive note. Why don't you tell everybody about <laughs> about this new venture about outside the music box. Yeah, outside the music box is kind of a I wanted to first I wanted to do a podcast because I have a good voice and it's something that I uh it's something that where where I can use all of my talents not just musical but uh and with my voice and writing and whatnot. I knew I wanted to do a podcast and I wanted it to, to have to do with music and I also wanted it to incorporate some of the things that I've learned studying uh, the Austrian economics and the the Rothbard and the Tannehill and the John Birch Society. So originally, I wanted something that had to do with how music, kind of, uh, you can find music in in the mundane things of life, like uh, I don't know, trash collection. Find the music in that. Uh, upon further, I need I need to find the music than that because nothing <laughs> frustrates me more than being woken up by the trash collection. So maybe I need to listen to you a little bit and uh, <laughs> figure that out. Well, well, that, well. see, that's the thing is I realized, you know, I'm trying to reach out to two different markets here. I'm, I'm trying to reach out to economics market and the music market. And I'm, it was just a little too broad. I, I realized um, I need to focus more on, on one or the other. And since I'm more of an expert on music, I decided to uh, focus on that. So outside the music box is basically... To sum up, it just celebrates innovation, creativity, uh, entrepreneurship in music. So I'm looking for people who are into new, newfangled ways of sharing music, whether it be new ways of playing the music of Johann Sebastian Bach, uh, Mozart, or creating new uh, original compositions of their own. That's, that's what I'm trying to do. And, and, I, and I think by focusing on that creativity – that curiosity, I think it's it, it one helps the music community, and two, I think it in a way is beneficial to liberty because 
why is it that people are so just so compliant and they just so unquestioning of authority? I think it's just a lack of creativity, a lack of curiosity in the world. And by focusing on this, I'm hoping to kind of, you know, just keep that spark of creativity in our culture alive. So we'll see how it goes. I've had some really, I mean, really good interviews so far. I mean, when you're talking to people who are innovative and uh, they've got that fire in the belly to get their message out, it only makes sense that they're going to be passionate with their with their interviews. So in fact, uh, we were talking about this before, but I just interviewed Jordan Page, who your listeners probably have heard of, outstanding musician, rock musician. It was open for Ron Paul uh, on many occasions. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's, it's my episode I, is either the day prior or the day after this episode is going to go on your... Yeah, it should be released by the time people hear this. Okay, so I think the day before. So, and just nothing but good things to come with it. It's, it's just really been a blast and hopefully we can just keep that creativity and that curiosity alive in our culture. Well, that's great, James. And, you know, if, if you're at all a fan of music, passionate about this kind of thing, or just interested in what you've heard from James right in here, I highly recommend going over and checking out Outside the Music Box. Obviously, you can find it in all the normal places you find, podcasts, iTunes, and that kind of thing. How else can people find your show? Do you, do you have a website or anything you can direct them to, social media, that kind of thing? Sure. Just go to outsidethemusicbox.com. It's my website where I stream all of the episodes. You can also find it on iTunes, Outside the Music Box. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And if I can add on to that, there's a website called conscientiousobjector.org. I think it's .org or .com. And it's not my website, but it, that, that was uh, really helpful for me to find out more about the process. And if you're of age to be drafted, like if you're 17, 18 years old and you're looking at that possibility of going to the post office and, and doing whatever you do, there's ways that you can identify yourself as a conscientious objector before you're ever drafted if it comes to that. So definitely check out that website, conscientiousobjector.org or .com. I can't remember which one it is. Well, James, thanks so much for coming on the show today and sharing your story. I really find it fascinating, both how you kind of came to this position in life as well as, as how you're dealing with it and how you're pursuing you know, getting out of the military and how you're channeling your own energies into your own project here with Outside of the Music Box. So it's really impressive to me. I hope other people out there listening are also equally impressed, and I wish you the best of luck. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mark. Great, James. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Yeah. Take care now. Hey guys, Mark Clare here, lionsofliberty.com, where we strive to advance the ideas of liberty daily. We bring you the Morning Roar! That's right, every Monday to Friday we'll have a brand new edition of the Morning Roar, where we provide a roundup of some news stories that you may not find in the mainstream media, or even in your typical social media newsfeed. We find stories that relate to the ideas of liberty and provide you with our liberty perspective on them. We wrap it all up every Friday with Felony Friday, where our own John Odermatt goes out and takes a look at some sort of felony. There's felonies committed every day, you know, whether it's a felony committed by the police, a politician, or even an average citizen. You can find all of this and so much more over at lionsofliberty.com, advancing the ideas of liberty daily. Your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed my interview with James Newcomb. James is one of those interesting guests that actually approached me about an interview. We met through our podcasting group, Podcasters Paradise. 
And, you know, just like Rayford Davis, who I interviewed back in episode 73, who was an ex-police officer, and he contacted me because he wanted to tell his story. He wanted to reach my audience. And, uh, you know, James is similar. Now, Rayford was a police officer. Uh, He's now an ex-police officer, and he's now outspoken against the war on drugs and outspoken libertarian. And he kind of saw during his time as a police officer how a lot of the things he was doing, a lot of the things his organization were doing just didn't feel right. He started to feel like he was part of the criminal gang, the kind of gangs that he was actually supposed to go out and, and prevent from harming other people. And that James has a similar experience where he joined the army as a musician, not as a soldier, not as someone who's going to be on the front lines. And he started to have a similar issue develop as he was in the army. And he started to become a libertarian. He started to see that a lot of the acts perpetrated by the U.S. Army are, in fact, aggressive acts. They are not necessarily in defense of this country or you know in defense of individual rights as should be the role of of a defensive organization i don't know if in a free society we would call that the army or the military or what uh there's certainly a place for defensive individual rights there's certainly a place for using force to defend individual rights but is that really the mission of the u.s army usually and this is not to decry other soldiers in any way shape or form i know many people who were were in the army my own father was an air force veteran and i don't think he's a terrible person at all But the overall mission of the army today, the way things are structured today, are often in an aggressive mission. We're often have bases in other countries. We're launching attacks on organizations or groups or heads of state that have not attacked us or this country. And now if if the U.S. Army was actually had a consistent record of defending individual rights, that would be one thing. But, you know, it's, it's very clear that the missions are conducted not with the rights of the individuals on the ground in mind, but they're conducted with the idea of completing the mission, whatever that mission may be, even if it does violate the rights of other people on the ground. And I think that is the kind of thing that James Newcomb has started to see. And while he's not there on the front lines dealing with it, and maybe that does make things a little easier for him in a way to deal with it, at the same time, he has to go out there and use his passion, use his music to produce music and produce propaganda that he has very much personally at odds with. And I think it's very impressive that he's not just walking away. He could get discharged tomorrow if he wanted to. He could get out of it if he really protested or if he really didn't want to go out and perform. But I think it's very impressive that James has this integrity that, that really shines through in speaking with him. And, and I hope that comes across to my listeners. You know, he wants to do this the right way. He's not just trying to cause trouble for the sake of causing trouble. He's not even just trying to make a political statement. What he is trying to do is make a personal statement about his own beliefs and to get out of this for the right reasons and to get out of it in the right way. You know, he did sign a contract. He did make an agreement. And he's not trying to renege on that. Anything but the proper methods of doing so. And I wish him the best of luck because there's just nothing worse in life than I can imagine than getting up every day and performing a job that you feel is morally wrong, that you don't feel good about doing. And, you know, James produces a great podcast outside the music box, and I highly recommend checking that out. It's a really cool show, especially for music fans. I'm sure you guys will like it. We will, of course, link to that in the show notes over at linesofliberty.com. I'm glad that James has found this new avenue to to express himself, and I'm really excited about that. Really excited to hear his show with Jordan Page, which we'll also post a link over to. And hopefully soon we'll be hearing from James, not from South Korea, but, you know, from wherever he decides to relocate when he's out of the Army. Best of luck to him on that. And my next guest will also be through someone I encountered through my Podcasters Paradise group. Big shout out to my friends over at Podcasters Paradise. He's a guy with an amazing story. He actually spent 26 years in federal prison for selling cocaine. 
And during that time, he earned a bachelor's degree and a master's degree and wrote seven books on the U.S. prison system. Truly inspiring and remarkable story. On Thursday, I'll be speaking with Michael Santos, and I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited about this show because I truly love doing it. What can I say? I love the guests I get to speak to. I get to find out about people I might have never found out about if it were not for this podcast. And I hope you guys out there feel the same way if you've made it this far into my show and into my rant. And, you know, I don't have much of a marketing budget. I don't have much of a marketing team. That's you guys. So I ask you guys to do whatever you can if you enjoy this show to spread the word about it. Go use the Amazon links at our website. If you need healthcare, go look into Health Excellence Select, lionsofliberty.com slash health, our sponsor. There are a lot of ways you can help out the show, but the biggest way you can help is by spreading the word, going on our social media, facebook.com slash lionsofliberty, and reposting our stuff, re-liking our stuff, going on Twitter at lionsofliberty, like our tweets, retweet our stuff. This is the way you guys can help us more than anything. And by the way, go subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're on YouTube now. Hip, hip, hooray. I'm going to be posting all the podcasts up on YouTube. I got a big backlog, as you guys know. Here we are sitting at episode number 92, and I only started posting these things up around number 88. So I've got some work to go do, and we're eventually we'll get all of the past episodes of the show up on YouTube. But until then, just keep coming back. You can find all the shows at lionsofliberty.com slash podcast. I hope to keep hearing from you on our social media. Hope to find you in our Facebook forum. Come check us out on there. And until next time, folks, live long and live free. 